Hey, what's going on? This is Jason Snow, and this is the Jason Snow Show for Friday, March 12th, 2021. Great to be here again today talking to you. What a great feeling. And thank you for making me part of your day. Great to be here. Um, it feels like summer outside today. Granted, it's only 65 degrees in Massachusetts, and we could get another snowstorm in about 15, 20 minutes, but that just seems to be how this region of the country works. <laughs> But any uptick of warmth, I welcome it in my book. Shorts and t-shirt today. Took a walk. It was great. Had a dandy old time. But I was perusing the internet today, trying to think of something to talk about. And I came across this very interesting article, or at least the headline of it. It was on ESPN.com. And I came across this, this video. And it was really interesting because it talked about the three-point bubble in the NBA. And it was written by Kevin Artovitz who works for ESPN, and very, very compelling article. And this is something I've thought about for the last couple of years as a basketball fan predominantly. Are there too many three-pointers in basketball? Now, many have argued that it's monotonous and you can kind of, it's predictable. The special, you know, the special nature of a three is kind of withered away at this point. Many have argued that. And to, to a certain degree, I agree. I mean, I think it gets to the point where it is predictable and it is monotonous. And we like, oh, here comes another three. But I think, and it, you know, the NBA, it breaks its own record every year. This year, 35 t attempts on average for an NBA team. 35. Last year, it was 34. The year before that, 32. And the year before that, it was just under 30. So every single year, it, it, breaks, the, it breaks its own record. And when the first, when the three-point shot first came in, just for the record, NBA teams only attempted two. Two threes a game. There are games now where Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, some of the best, take that many on a possession. And <laughs> it, 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 it's bonkers, but it's just the reality of how the game has evolved. Now, many fans have argued that it's monotonous, and to a certain degree, you know, I agree to that that sometimes the Celtics and the Houston Rockets were really integrated in analytics and being efficient and just jacking up threes at all costs. You may have heard the saying, you live by the three, you die by the three. And I wanted to take you back a couple of years to one of the best basketball teams I've ever seen, and I would argue of all time, but I'm only 20, so what do I know <laughs> before my time? The 2018 Golden State Warriors. Now, they finished the they finished the season with a 58 and 24 record. Not exactly great, but I would say on paper and kind of the way they played is a style that I really like. Smart, had some tough guys, David West, Zaza Pachulia, Sean Livingston, Nick Young, veterans, along with some young players. And then you have the stars with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond. I like the balance of that that team had. Now, they went on to win the, the NBA title, and it really wasn't even close because they had that starting five of a couple of MVPs and, you know, the story. But everyone kind of looks back at the Golden State era, and granted, it's still on its, its path, but everyone looks back at those golden years, pun intended, of the Golden State Warriors and says, oh, they led the three-point revolution. They led it. Now, I, I think that they led the uptick of analytics and the importance of it, and they made it more mainstream. But I wouldn't say that they overwhelmingly poison the game to a point where it's monotonous. 
That team was that team ranked seventeenth in three point attempts. A team headlined by Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant ranked seventeenth in three point attempts. Now, I, going back to that article, I think that that article questioned, you know, how much does three point shooting affect your winning? But I think that three pointers are always good in moderation. All things in life are good in moderation, you think. You think of driving a car, and a lot of people are turning to electric cars now because they're better for the environment. Driving a gas-driven car isn't exactly a bad thing if you don't if you do it in moderation. It's just simply too many people doing it. So I think too many people are trying to be Steph Curry and trying to be Damian Lillard and trying to pull from half court when your coach is shaking his head no. And back to that Golden State Warriors team, 17th in attempts, but they were number one in percentage. Translation, they didn't take a lot of bad shots. They were smart. They worked through the system. Now, they did, obviously, with Steph, you take a lot of transition threes, and you take some deep ones, and you take some contested ones where you kind of cringe and say, I don't know if that's a good shot until it goes in, and then you cheer. They took some of those because that's what Steph is built on. But it, it that's three-pointers isn't necessarily the road to a championship. I don't think it is. I mean, that Golden State Warriors team was first in points, first in assists, first in blocks, and first in free throw percentage. There wasn't just threes. If threes won you the, if threes won you the game, Mike D'Antoni would have as many championships as you can. Is that you need a balance. And throughout a lot of those Warriors playoff runs, they relied on Kevin Durant in the post. They relied on Kevin Durant isolations. They relied on just being witty in the system and just playing their way. So I think you do need a balance. And I thought that was really interesting. And uh, NBA commissioner Adam Silver went on Mike Greenberg's radio uh, show on ESPN radio and said this. We're constantly looking at tinkering at the game. We've moved the three point line. As you recall, we moved it in once, then we moved it back out, then we moved it to a slightly different place on the floor. I think as the as the caliber of the shooting has gotten better, I mean, my early days in the league, everyone used to complain there was too much dunking and that and that we had a lot of great athletes in the league, but they weren't skilled in the way that you see a lot of these players now. So are we at the right balance? I'm sure there may be some adjustments we, we can make. I mean, I think, again, there's, there's so much great about the game right now, but the three-point line in particular is something we'll continue to look at. I think the commissioner loves the three-pointer. I think he does. And I, I don't blame him because the NBA has evolved. And I think, you know, there are certain games, there are certain aspects of the past game that could very well be used and integrated in today's game, and I think it would work. One of which being the hand check. I mean, I wasn't really alive for much of the, you know, physicality, Bill Lambeer, you know, trucking people across the lane. I wasn't really alive for that. But I would say that if you wanted to bring that back into the game, I think that would add another level of physicality, and maybe those three-point attempts would go down because people are, are always attached to people. But I, I, in terms of if you want to moderate the, the three-pointers and bring them down... I don't remember a time in basketball's history that the game has ever been as skilled and as, I mean, finesse, but I don't think the game has ever been better. And granted, I did grow up in this NBA, so take that into account. But there's never been a time in all of the games that I've watched of times that I was not even born yet, and all the, you know, the articles I've read, that a point guard gets the rebound, outlets it to a center, and the center sets up the offense. That has never happened pre 
2015. That is never... Jerry West wasn't getting rebounds and boxing out and outletting it to Wilt Chamberlain. That's just how Den- that's how the Denver Nuggets play. That's somehow the Lakers played in the NBA Finals. Rondo getting rebounds. Anthony Davis run the offense. LeBron run- like I love how the game is positionless. That is my favorite. I think that might be my favorite part of basketball nowadays where it's like oh, he's not a point guard, he's not a small forward, he's not a center. He's just a basketball player. They don't fit into very many molds. And I think that's great for the NBA where it's inclusive. You don't need you don't need a prerequisite. You don't need a you need to fit in this box or else you can't play. It's do you have long arms? Do, do you play with heart? Can you shoot to an extent? I mean, how many boxes do you need to check to play basketball nowadays? And I think one of the main reasons why Adam Silver wants to put his arms around the three-point shot, gambling. And you can think of this, maybe it's maybe it's a little out there and a little bit zany, but you can now recover from being down eight with a minute left. Pre-three-point shot, you couldn't do that. And I think that that leads to people being in the game longer and being invested in the game longer. And I, I, I just think it's great. And now are the half court, are, are we going to get used to people pulling from half court and making it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe that's not a healthy thing when people aren't as talented as the Steph Curry's, as the Damian Lillard's. But if we look back, I mean, the three point line has been around for 40 years. It was about time that someone mastered it. Steph Curry mastered it. Damian Lillard mastered it. Clay Thompson mastered it. Ray Allen, to a to a degree, mastered it. So, and by I say to a degree, I mean he wasn't pulling from half court, and he was very much a I'm going to drift in the corner, set off screens. I mean, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson took what Ray Allen did, and just went like took it up a notch to a degree, to a degree. And Steph in particular, and Damian Lillard as well said, we're going to bring in dribbling to this. We're going to pull threes in transition. Before, in Ray Allen's time, people, I mean, coaches wouldn't even want to see that. So I think it's just a new day in the NBA, and I think it's great. I think the game has never been better. Uh, speaking of the NBA, trade deadline in two weeks. I'm going to play a little GM. I will. And if I were the basketball gods, I would accept and decline these NBA trade scenarios back in a second. Back on the Jason Snow Show, NBA trade deadline approaching in two weeks, and a lot of names are swirling around in NBA trade talks. They really are. It's it's kind of fun to play kind of fantasy GM and see what you can do and build teams and kind of think think your way through things. So that's what I'm going to do today. There are, how many do I have here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven names that I have written down here. Now, some of them aren't exactly headliners. Some of them are. And these are realistic trade rumors slash scenarios. And I took to Twitter, as you do, when you look for controversy, when you look for outcry, you go to Twitter. Why not? So I I went out to Twitter. By the way, follow my Twitter, at Jason underscore Snow underscore. And I took to the people. I said, give me some realistic slash rumored NBA trade scenarios. I'd love to, you know, give some of the best ones a shot, and I'd like to see if I'd approve them or, or not. If I were the NBA gods, and I said, if, every, if it was a perfect world, would this trade go down? 
and not many responses. Actually, just one, as a matter of fact. But thank you to Coach Mark Leschik of Massasoit Community College for tuning for tuning in and chiming in. This is what he had to say. He proposed Rajon Rondo of the Atlanta Hawks back to the Boston Celtics, and he gave some reasoning. He said, not a big deal, but as a Celtics fan, I would love to see us bring back Rondo. Three things Boston needs, veteran leadership, a two-time champion, and a master of ball movement who isn't going to be shot dependent. Wouldn't cost because he's lingering on a bad Atlanta team. Now, let's start with that one. Mark, great great suggestion. I I would accept that as well. Now, I don't think I would give up a ton for Rondo at this point in his career because I don't know how inspired his play in the regular season is at this point in his career. Three points per game, three assists. And the whole nickname behind Rondo is Playoff Rondo. That's what I would really want Rondo for. Now, he's played 20 of a possible 37 games for the Hawks and makes $7 million this year and $7 million next year. I don't know if I would want to commit that much to Rondo at this point in his career. But I, I definitely agree. The Celtics need a championship moxie, and Rondo can certainly bring that. Now, I think you could make the argument the Celtics bench point guard spot is kind of full at the moment with Jeff Teague, and he's certainly not uh, the Jeff Teague that we expected heading into this year. But Pritchard has played above expectations. I would be down with Rondo to the Celtics. If you could convince me to give up maybe a Javante Green, I don't know how the money would work out, but Javante Green in a second or just a low risk move to bring Rondo in and have him play maybe even half coach, half player, and just have him suit up and sit on the bench and teach these guys how to win. I think that I I like that move uh, by coach there, but I'm going to give you six more. Let's start with this one. Harrison Barnes to the Celtics. Now Harrison Barnes plays on Sacramento, who a lot of people believe is going to be selling at this point in the season. They haven't really played up to expectations. They're a young team. Harrison Barnes to the Celtics. I would I would accept this. I, I would, as long as I don't have to give up a ton. Now, the Celtics were rumored to give up multiple first-round picks for Detroit's Jeremy Grant, who I think is a better overall player than Harrison Barnes. But I don't know if I want to commit to Jeremy Grant that much. I mean, if I don't have to give up for much for Harrison Barnes, I'm just getting a little, you know, diet version of Jeremy Grant for not that much. I mean, he fits into the 28 million trade exception. He averages 16 a game with seven rebounds and three assists. And I thought about this. It was funny. The Celtics have been rumored to want a forward that can shoot and can play make a little bit and can defend. Sounds like they want a Gordon Hayward. It, it, isn't that funny? I mean, Celtics fans, they wanted Gordon Hayward out of here faster than a rocket ship. And now all of a sudden the Celtics are like, mm, we could use someone kind of like Gordon Hayward. Uh, it, now, I don't like the financial backing of Harrison Barnes. I mean, he makes $22 million this year, 20 next, and 18 the year after that. Along with the salaries, we have to pay Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum down the line, and, and Kemba. I mean, that's that's quite financially taxing. But in the same breath as Rondo, now Rondo has more experience, but Harrison Barnes has been to two NBA Finals. And won one of them. And has been on the record-wise the best NBA team ever in the 2016 Golden State Warriors. And he he knows what it's like to be in big games and to win them. I think that's the biggest thing. If the Celtics want to add something at this deadline, I'm absolutely a productive player, maybe off the bench, like at Barnes or something, that can have that similar skill set. So you can have five guys on the court that can shoot, dribble, and pass. Absolutely. If you can have a well-rounded five at the end of a game to close and to just remain competitive, absolutely do it. 
but I think this team needs a moxie. Look at the, look at this Celtics roster. No NBA champions. Kemba was on sorry Charlotte forever. Now, the Celtics did make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but to get over the hump, I think you need a veteran like Arondo, like Mark suggested. So I think you just need a guy with experience who's been a champion that knows what it's like to win, and maybe Barnes can be that guy. So I'm down for Barnes and Rondo to the Celtics, as long as I don't have to give up eight first-rounders like Detroit's asking for Jeremy Grant. P.J. Tucker to the Heat. I would accept this one too. Now, the Heat are... Only one game over 500, so they kind of need they need something. I mean, they lost Jay Crowder to Phoenix in the offseason, and I think P.J. Tucker can give a lot of what Crowder did to the Heat last year when they made their first finals appearance since LeBron and Dwayne Wade left. Play defense, shoot threes, and be tough, and guard a multitude of positions. Now, Tucker can play fast. He can fit in with that younger group, and at 35 years old, I don't know what their commitment to him would be after this season, but... He's on ex- he's on an expiring deal of $8 million, which could be lucrative to a lot of teams that doesn't have a lot of cap situation, that you know don't have a lot of freedom in that aspect. And he's frustrated in Houston. I don't think you'd have to give up all that much. So P.J. Tucker to the Heat, I'm for it. If I'm the Miami Heat and I'm the basketball gods and I'm looking for good fits, I think P.J. Tucker to the Miami Heat would be good. So I'm f- you're th- the th- we're three for three. And a lot of these I, I did look up on the internet, various sources, one of them that being hoopshype.com and ESPN.com and, and SI.com. So next one, Victor Oladipo to the New York Knicks. Decline this. New York, please decline this. I know a lot of rumors are being out there of you want to buy at the trade deadline. You're finally in the playoff picture for the first time since I've been alive, seemingly. And honestly, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Countless times in the past, the Knicks have gotten a brief taste of success and they their impulsive moves, and ugh, they mess it up every time. RJ Barrett, 16 20-point games this year. Don't stun his growth by bringing in someone at his position who'd likely play more than him. You brought in Derrick Rose for cheap. I like it. Absolutely. But adding Oladipo to the mix, I think, is too much of a risk for ruining what they have. I mean, they finally have something going in their direction. Don't mess it up and especially you know Victor Oladipo he's been rumored to want big money so unless you're going to commit to him long term which I wouldn't want to do he's a rental for you so what are you going to give up out of your young core for a guy that might only play for you for six months and then demand max money elsewhere and on top of that he's only played 25 games this year he still wants big money I don't know if he's really that much of a fit with the group you have so Oladipo to the Knicks cross it out no way. I wouldn't do it if I'm New York. But they're New York, so they'd probably do it anyway. Oh, I don't like how they run their team. But, you know, good for them. Good for them. They're finally in the playoff picture. But I just simply wouldn't add to the mix they have. Next one. Three left. And pretty notable names here. Andre Drummond to the LA Lakers. I would also decline this one. Now, I know what you're saying. Like, the Lakers, they miss AD. They could use another big man. It depends on how much the Cavs really want to ask for for Andre Drummond at this point, because 28 million expiring contract that, I mean, that's a lot of money to take in initially, but I can't imagine the Cavs really demanding much. I would decline this if I'm the Lakers. You're third in the West. You've lost six out of your last eight without Anthony Davis. They just need him back and healthy and they'll be fine. 
I mean, the Lakers at this point, they don't really, they shouldn't really worry about seeding. Why, why be the number one seed? Let Utah have that. Let Phoenix have number two. I mean, you have LeBron James. And, and LeBron historically doesn't really work well with lumbering centers. They tend to get in, in the way of his drives. LeBron works well with shooters. Anthony Davis, you you seen the playoffs? He mostly stretches out beyond the arc. So uh, Anthony Davis is much more of a jump shooter at this point than he ever has been. One reason, LeBron. So, and uh, Drummond additionally doesn't really play. The Lakers wouldn't even be able to use him at the end of games. 59% free throw shooter. So he wouldn't even be on the floor for much of the fourth quarter. And additionally, also a rental. One-year deal. So... If you'd have to give up Kuzma or Caruso or much of your bench for a guy that doesn't fit with LeBron, going to be expensive initially, off your books next year, wouldn't even play for you in a lot of second halves, and stylistically in the Western Conference, a lot of fast-paced young teams. Now, could they use someone to match up with Rudy Gobert of Utah? Absolutely, but I think that's one team, and I don't think the Lakers necessarily need Drummond to get over the top. I think they're already the favorites to get to the finals again. If I were betting right now, LA's my favorite to go to the finals. I don't care about Utah. LaMarcus Aldridge to the Heat. I talked about the Heat earlier. I was a little iffy on this one. I was going to go back and forth. I was going to go back and forth. I really was. Now, I think I would accept this one too. Now, I, was, I initially said decline because I think of the, when I think of the Heat, I think of running in transition, being a stout defensive team, being athletic with Bam, shooting threes in transition with Duncan Robinson and, and, and Tyler Hero. Now, a lot of what my, Miami did in the playoffs hasn't really translated to this regular season, but I don't, I don't like Aldridge as a fit for Miami in that sense. But off the bench, if I had to just give up Kelly Olenek and, and upgrade there, I like it. To be honest, I'd prefer PJ Tucker if I were the Heat. I'd, I'd absolutely go in that direction. But as a potential playoff spark who's been in some big games, who's a veteran, who knows what he's doing, who kind of would know his role at this point in his career, 35 years old, 13.7 points per game and four rebounds. Now, Aldridge is kind of, we talked about three pointers earlier. He's one of those guys that kind of is an outlier in the whole, we're going to shoot threes and we're going to get younger and we're going to shoot as many as we can. He's more of a like mid-range set shot kind of guy at this point. Doesn't play a lot of defense, isn't very mobile, doesn't have a lot of lateral quickness that can rival some of the doesn't like switch on defense, not a great rebounder either. He can just score mid-range. So it's kind of anti-modern NBA. If I'm Miami, I, I think I would pull the trigger on this if I didn't have to give up so much. Last one before we before we move on to it. Another fascinating topic that a lot of people listening to this would probably like. Kyle Lowry to the Sixers. I think I would accept this one too. The criticism of Philadelphia in the past has been they don't know how to close games. Lowry, I think, could could help. Uh, he won an NBA title in 2019. Now, part of me leans with the side of the Sixers. They're overachieving almost. I mean, I didn't expect them to be leading the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break. And Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are finally playing well together, so I wouldn't want to exactly mess that up. But in a world where you're being chased by Brooklyn, who has three certi- certified superstars and a well-rounded supporting cast, I don't. You have to stay aggressive, and you have to get winners. So, and Toronto, additionally, I should be, I should add that they said they don't want to trade him, but 
I mean, if the rumors still are still out there, Kyle Lowry to Philadelphia, I would do it if I'm the Sixers. 18 points, five rebounds, seven assists, veteran leadership. I would try it. So fun playing a little NBA GM. Absolutely, when the, the NBA trade deadline comes up in a matter of weeks, I'll absolutely react to all the moves and all the moving names there in future shows. But right now, Patriots fans, brace yourself for another year of Cam Newton. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't like him. I know he doesn't know how to throw, but he's back in a Patriots uniform again for 2021. We'll be back on the other side of the break to talk about Cam and Bill. Isn't it a bad thing that I kind of like Cam Newton returning to the Patriots? I do. I'm not going to lie to you. I think, you know, there weren't a lot of great options. There weren't. Now, I think the window is still open for them to draft someone at potentially 15. I mean, I'll get into draft prospects going forward in a future episode because I have some strong opinions about that. But there's a chance someone might fall to them at 15. But I don't think it's a I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that Cam Newton's back with the Patriots. I'll give you a few I'll give you a few reasons. One, it's a second year in the system. The Patriots system has always been renowned as what did Menahem say? Calculus. Very tough, very academic, very daunting, very complicated. You give Cam another year. You give Cam another year in the system to fully grasp what's going on. Because at certain times last year, he was indecisive. He didn't know where the receivers were. He looked didn't look very confident. Uh, it looked like he was very uncertain at times. So I think if you, if you give Cam another year, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Another more understanding of of that offense. Second of all, you give him more cap space. Look at look at the receivers. Look at the tight ends. They had the worst set of tight ends in the NFL. I mean, we looked at how Brady was elevated by those receivers all last year. What's Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams? Look look around the league. Kansas City might have to shed some of those receivers when Patrick Mahomes' big deal kicks in. What's Patrick Mahomes going to be? Deshaun Watson lost DeAndre Hopkins last year. 4-12. and 12. Tire fire. Turmoil. Brutal. You give Cam was working with Jacoby Myers and, and Damian Harris out of the backfield. I mean, he, you didn't give him very much. So, granted, he didn't look good. He really didn't. And there was a strong case for him to be labeled one of the worst quarterbacks, if not the worst quarterback in the league last year. But I'm saying, if you put all of it together, eight opt-outs, Tom Brady momentum moving against the franchise. It's not, it's not the best look when Tom Brady's winning Super Bowls and you're going seven and nine. Now I was, I thought the Patriots were poised for a six and ten, five and eleven tire fire year, but they, they were in a lot more games than you think. Cam Newton almost won that game late in the season in Buffalo. Cam Newton almost won that game week two in Seattle. One of the best performances I've seen Cam play in years. In years. Maybe dating back to his MVP years. Maybe that was the best game I've seen him play. They lost those. Now, they they started out of the gate near 500 or around so. And then they go to Kansas City. Cam gets COVID. What happens? I'm just telling you. I don't think bringing back Cam Newton is the worst thing in the world. Players like Cam Newton, Bill Belichick last year, 
you couldn't tell him otherwise. He didn't like Cam Newton. He loved Cam Newton. That look that locker room loved Cam Newton, or at least they said. So I I don't think bringing back Cam Newton is the worst idea. He's cheaper than Jimmy G, who a lot of Patriots fans wanted back, and maybe even Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo wants back to New England. He's cheaper than him. I mean, maybe if you wanted to say bring in Sam Darnold, he's cheaper. But at the same time, he's raw. You'd have to be like, okay, we're going to give another young quarterback a year in the offense. We wouldn't be very good in 2021 anyway with a, a younger quarterback that still needs to grasp his his head around the offense. So if you just bring in, and by the way, it's a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal. They can easily, hopefully, you know, if you're, if you're a Patriots fan, you should be crossing your fingers for a Trey Lance if he drops to you at 15, and then you can kind of work him in as the backup. Jarrett, Jarrett Stedham's not the answer. All right. If anyone else is saying Jarrett Stedham at this point, please turn the podcast off. I I don't even want to hear Jarrett Stedham. Okay. Fourth round pick. Belichick watched him play for two years, all every day in practice, and still wanted to pay Cam $14 million. So Cam's a starter. I think it's totally fair to give him another year. I understand the frustration when you see, you know, the the San Francisco 49ers injury riddled walking to Gillette and the Patriots get embarrassed. I understand. That's frustrating. That was a tough watch. That was the worst game of the year. But if Stafford didn't want to come here, you couldn't have traded for you couldn't have traded for Stafford. Carson Wentz is way more expensive than Cam Newton was and potentially even worse last year. Look around Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're going to have a lot you're going to have a bright future with him. I mean, look around. Who did you want? Every team wants a good rookie, but at 15, you're the Patriots were in a very good, tough spot last year. They were they could have easily bottomed out. But that winning culture in Bill Belichick kept them afloat to a point where 15th pick, they were right neck and neck with Minnesota. And Minnesota record-wise was worse. And if you look take those rosters side by side, I mean, who's better? So I I'm having a very good day. I'm not very I'm not aggravated. My tone might be a little not great, but I mean, if you look, just look around, who'd you want? Who wanted to come here? And you didn't have to give Cam Newton anything. You didn't have to give up anything to get Cam Newton. So a lot of people are thinking about this and aggravated and upset. I guess I can, I, I can understand where you're coming from with that. It's not always great when the first thing you, <laughs> Hey, we signed a quarterback. He can't throw. It, it looks like it hurts when he throws. I understand. There's frustration that comes with that. But fourth in the M- fourth in the NFL in rushing touchdowns, he's still got his legs. I mean, he's not MVP Cam Newton or Auburn Cam Newton, but he's Cam Newton. Granted, that was part of the offense where he felt most comfortable. That was where his, you know, his legs were definitely the strength of last year for him. It certainly wasn't his arm. He looked, he looked discord. He didn't, he looked uncoordinated. He just didn't look natural. It didn't look smooth. And for years and years, Brady was so natural. And Brady looked so calm. And you saw in the Super Bowl. You see him signing that contract with the letter eight on his on his chest, on his on his shirt. That's <laughs> you can't just be like, okay, we're watching Tom Brady for 20 years, and then Cam Newton comes in and he's like, I'm just trying to learn the offense. I'm not quite comfortable yet. I doesn't look like I can throw. He, I think it's natural to give Cam another chance. It's, are, the, are the Patriots a playoff team? That might be the follow-up question to that. I don't know. That's tough. You kind of stumped me with that.
Are the Patriots a playoff team? Let me know on Twitter. Let me know if they're a playoff team. I don't know. I mean, I look around the I look around the AFC. Kansas City's a, a right in. Buffalo has looked better than they ever have. Baltimore, they're not even paying Lamar Jackson yet. That roster's still intact. They could use a receiver though. The Dolphins, I think if they make a big trade on offense and Tua another year, the growth pain's gone. I think Miami is going to be interesting. Tennessee, Indianapolis, I love the Colts. If you ever listened to a second of Final Call over the last 18 months, you know I love the Indianapolis Colts and I just love what they're doing. So I think they're a playoff team, definitely. It's tough, but I think with the options all laid out, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the realm that that Bill is seeing how Bill has never reacted to anything more expressive in his life. I love Cam Newton. He said that like eight times. Cam Newton's our quarterback, no matter what. Maybe that was just by default because they had no one else. But when Bill Belichick has your back, you're going to get chances. And especially cost effective, knows the system, physical, has his legs. Just need him. Just need him to get more comfortable. You give him more of an off season to learn. I don't know. I think a lot of people are looking at this pessimistic. I don't. I, I can understand why. I can sympathize with that. But I'll end this by saying I don't think it's the end of the world. Patriots fans, they should be happy they have a quarterback at this point. <laughs> and that concludes this episode of the Jason Snow Show. Thank you so much for listening and spending a very valuable portion of your day with me. I enjoyed every second of it. And if you wanted to do me one favor, and I thought of this, if you think of someone who might enjoy the show and someone who might like listening on a weekly basis or whatever, recommend the show, spread the word, tell someone about it. I would enjoy some new blood, some new listeners up in here and try to spread the word as much as we can. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy hopefully the warm weather that is here to stay. So thank you so much. Have a good weekend.